0: I think veganism uh gave up uh but so, uh, uh, let's start by asking you about your views on veganism. What you think about veganism?
1: Man has a tendency to further his self-interests. The self he defines usually quite narrowly. So when he defines the self as merely his physical body, then all the other bodies in the world become just material available to be exploited for the sake of his own one body, when he defines himself in terms of a gender. then the other gender becomes just a means to further his own gratification. Similarly, he can define himself in terms of religion or or color or or his uh, immediate family or some kind of a community. And whenever there is this division, there is a conveniently created a party on the other side and now the party on the other side merits no consideration or compassion, it is just there to be utilized, exploited. Similarly, you would have guessed it, we are talking of veganism, man looks at uh, other species as well. Mm? So there's homo sapiens and then there are all the other species and man's, uh, man's egos worldview is that all these other species exist just for the sake of man and uh, then we exploit them and um, in our words utilize them in all ways possible This is the very antithesis of spirituality. So spirituality really, which is about broadening the ego boundaries, in other words, dissolution of the narrow ego, has to be very resonant with veganism. Especially in today's times, I do not see how it is possible to be spiritual and not be a vegan. Reason being, there has never been such biodiversity loss and extinction of species as is happening today. The entire ecosystem or the millions of interconnected micro ecosystems have never been as threatened as they are today. And all of that is because of man's flawed self-concept. So these two are highly interrelated things. Man's quest for liberation from his little ego, narrow self-concept, and Man's compassion towards the larger world. And the larger world obviously has to include all flora fauna, environment, everything.
0: So it's about ego at the end of the day. Yes.
1: Isn't it? it begins from there and
0: Indian context, you know, we are like, from the time uh, in Indian families, a child is born, you know, a child is fed milk, there is a huge ceremony in which the first thing that is fed is kheer, and that kheer is also made of milk, so, I mean, in the Indian context, where we have always uh, uh, spoken about compassion to animals and, you know, taking care of cows and everything, how does this, this fit? in
1: our context. You see, cultural and social practices are time dependent. So when we talk of uh, India and specifically the Hindu communities, association, rather affinity with milk and milk products, that's a socio-cultural thing that does not really have much to do with the essence of religion. So, India being an agrarian economy uh, throughout her history and even today two-thirds of our population is involved in agriculture. The role of the cow, the role of oxen was important. And so, uh, from there came this association with the entire uh, cow family but all of that uh, was firstly in great limits and secondly A cultural practice. Cultures must change in response to the realities of the times. The essence of religion cannot change. Culture has to adjust itself as per the prevailing conditions.
0: So, sorry, I'm interrupting, but when you say the essence of religion must not change, what is this essence you are referring to? How will you define it?
1: That which we talked of in the previous question, Hmm. that man lives as per his ego, and the narrower is the ego boundary, the greater is man's own suffering. So this is the simple essence of all religion. The more you live by your petty self-concept, the more you will suffer. Therefore, all religion truly is about liberation from the ego, nothing else. You see, when people talk of Sri Krishna, they often invoke the fact that he came from a family of uh, cow herds and he used to
0: whole mythological uh, story related associated with stories
1: That he had great love for milk and butter Mm -hmm. and these things. The essence of Krishna does not lie in his uh, fondness towards milk. The essence of Krishna lies in Srimad Bhagavad Gita. And there is not a single verse in Srimad Bhagavad Gita that speaks highly of milk or recommends milk consumption. So this is something that we have to ask ourselves. What do we want to see as the essence of Krishna, the timeless, immortal essence of Krishna. The fact that he would consume milk, ghee, butter, or the fact that he very lucidly explains over 18 chapters, what it means to live, what it means to work, and what it means to fight through the battle of life. Unfortunately, Gita is not only a little hard to decode for most people, but also living by the Gita requires a certain honesty, a certain discipline, a certain sacrifice. So, most people would rather live by the mythology and the folklore associated with Sri Krishna rather than his essence. So, that's what I ask people. I mean, what does Krishna mean to you? Milk and butter or nishkam karma? Milk and butter are time dependent things. Being born in the place he was born, being raised in the village and the environment he had, obviously he would uh, be attracted towards milk and butter, but that's a peripheral part of the life story of that particular reincarnation. That we cannot call as the essence or Krishnatva. Some other reincarnation of the same truth, born elsewhere, would not have that kind of affinity for uh, milk and butter. Similarly, people point out to the fact that Christ is known to have consumed flesh. But then look at his times, there are so many things in the religious domain that are absolutely time dependent. They must not be conflated with eternal principles. What one eats depends on his time and age, his social conditions and such things. It's almost like one's language, you see. Even if an avatar were to be reincarnated today, would he speak the language of yesteryear's Krishna? He won't talk in Sanskrit. So these things are just dependent on time. And uh, if one is really respectful of the timeless essence of religion, then one would not uh, stick too much to all these things that come and go and must be clearly considered as time-bound, time-dependent, peripheral and therefore uh, be available to be rejected when their time is gone.
0: What about the nutritional aspect, you know, like they say, that it's rich in calcium, and it's rich in protein and so it's, it's a must for children, and you know, even of certain age. Yeah. But most poor people generally depend on milk and curd for so their minimal protein. See,
1: this too is a misconception and one does not quite need spirituality to refute this. So if you look at the weight of nutrients obtained per rupee spent, then the nutrients that one can obtain from flesh or milk products per rupee spent is either comparable to or many a times even lower than the weight of ingredients one can obtain from purely vegan products. So it is a myth that uh, veganism can be afforded only by the relatively resourceful. There is enough medical literature now available to conclusively prove that if you want to live a compassionate vegan lifestyle it is not only not expensive it may actually turn out to be economically more feasible than an animal or animal product milk based diet As far as nutrients are concerned, you see, today you have top athletes, champions in tennis, cricket, several other sports, even in physically very, very demanding disciplines like, uh, like bodybuilding, like weightlifting, like boxing. And these are the people who are not only vegan, but they actually actively ever that their performances raised to another dimension after they turned vegan. So not only are they saying that they are able to sustain their performances, even while being vegan, what they are saying is that their top-level, world-beating performances are due to veganism. Surely this does not point towards a deficiency of nutrients in their body. And we have more and more research and medical material emerging every day. Obviously, there is uh, material to the contrary as well. But let's also remember the times we are living in. The vegan movement is still in its infancy, and it is pitted against the powerful forces of animal agriculture, the meat industry, the leather industry, animal products industry, the beauty products industry. So, there are industries worth trillions of dollars that are threatened by veganism. And obviously, uh, these industries would uh, pour money into um, sponsored research reports that would rail against veganism. But if you go to credible agencies, you you read what they are saying, you find out it works, it seriously works. Now, coming to Ayurveda, again you see, it's a system of medicine. And obviously it will talk of firstly stuff that is medicinal because its primary concern is not compassion, but treatment of the ailing individual. Secondly, because Ayurveda has its roots very much in India, therefore it would talk of its uh, locally available. yeah stuff locally that is stuff. locally available and uh, herbs and other ingredients that can be easily sourced. So these two things have to be remembered. Ayurveda I'm not saying does not care for animals, but that cannot be its primary concern. By definition that cannot be its primary concern. Its primary concern is heal the human being hmm? and whatever it takes for that. So many people may not know this, but Ayurveda even for certain ailments recommends flesh consumption. For certain uh, diseases, Ayurveda would say, for example, that you must take pork and boil it, and then the the rasa that you have, hmm, the soup, that has to be taken for so many days. Now, if that involves slaughtering that animal, which it obviously would, so be it, the life of the man is more precious, and that is the uh, defined domain of a medical system of treatment. So you cannot fault it for that. But one cannot really quote Ayurveda to justify slaughtering a pig. What Ayurveda is saying is that in that special condition, this is what would work. Whereas veganism is a lifestyle. Also, you see now, at this point when we are saying that it when there is a choice when there is a trade off between um, one's sense of compassion and a medical situation that requires flesh consumption let's say huh? let's say in the ayurvedic domain there is a there is a situation that uh, demands that one consumes the flesh of a pigeon that too has been recommended in uh, certain situations, one de- one consumes the flesh of a pig- pigeon or or uh, or fish or something. Now is the time when one has to really decide what is it that one values more: his body or his uh, or his love. It's a cliched word, but there is no other uh, word available for it. So I have to ask this. And there have been people who have said that they would rather die than kill others for the sake of their life. But then this is not something that can be institutionalized this has to be an individual call and the individual has to decide as per his uh, level of spiritual advancement and as per the depth of his heart someone may say fine my life is quite important and if to sustain my life a few animals are to be slaughtered every day fine Somebody might even go to the extent of saying, my life is so important that to sustain my life, if a few human beings are to be slaughtered every day, fine. We have had such examples in history. There have been uh, myths prevailing at certain periods of time in certain places where it was thought that man's flesh or the uh, fresh blood of a young man's heart is very useful in uh, curing old age related diseases. So there have been kings who would get young people slaughtered and have fresh blood from their heart and use them. Obviously, that had no uh, scientific basis. But let's say, even if there is actually a factual and scientific basis, and that says that you must have cod liver oil.
0: You go to
1: that extent? Do you really want to take that? and that's a highly personal call mm-hmm. uh, because it is not really necessary to just add a few more years to one's life at the cost of uh, uh, at the cost of bringing suffering to other people uh, uh, other species other people and any living form or uh, or, or even at the cost of uh, destroying rivers and mountains and jungles. Hmm? But then, as I said, that cannot be mandated or institutionalized. That is something that one has to decide for himself. Having said that, I do not want it to mean that veganism implies a reduction in one's lifespan or a compromise on one's health. On the other hand, even if one is not driven by compassion, there are strongly medical reasons and purely medical reasons that should be compelling enough to guide one towards veganism. Also, what is forgotten when we talk of milk and curd is the relation between the milk products industry and the meat industry hmm? this is this is, there is a very strong relation but people conveniently try to forget it or ignore it a religious Hindu or a pious Jain would say, but I take only milk and curd. Hmm. Hmm? I do not take meat. Hmm. And then he would absolve himself of any kind of guilt Hmm. of animal slaughter. He would say, no, no, no. I worship the cow and all I draw from her is the milk. Hmm. Hmm? I do not take her flesh, obviously, Hmm. that's that's sacrilege. What they forget is that India is not for nothing the biggest uh, beef exporter of the world or the second largest beef exporter probably. Where is all that beef coming from? So why don't we clearly see that the same cow that is used or buffalo because most of the beef that is exported is buffalo meat that the same cow or buffalo that is today used to extract milk from her is tomorrow slaughtered for the sake of flesh. You see, after all, if you are looking at the cow or the buffalo as an economic asset, Why won't you want to draw and extract value from that economic asset right till the last rupee? So, when the animal is in the reproductive age, you draw value from her through her milk. And needless to say, the process of having her... uh, deliver milk is a highly cruel process which involves uh, forced insemination and all other kinds of cruelties which are not visible to the final consumer of the milk so he gladly consumes it so when she can give milk we take milk from her we don't take milk from her We, we, we extract milk from her and when she cannot give milk and even after that, at least five to seven years of her age still remain. What do you do with her? You cannot. On the uh, but then you cannot. Uh... That's what most people do. Uh, that's what some people do, you know. Most of those cattle are not found on roads.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The number of cows that are, or buffaloes, that are uh, used to, to give us dairy is extremely, extremely large. What we find roaming on the roads is probably not even 10 to 20% of them A small fraction Very small fraction Where have the rest of them gone? They have all gone to the slaughterhouses Because to keep such a large animal alive requires economic resources Why would the farmer keep putting in money to bring fodder and protection to a buffalo that can no more give milk and if the farmer has been trained to look at the animal only as Economics. an economic asset then it makes quick and immediate economic sense to just sell off the buffalo to the slaughterhouse and that is what is happening so the one who is consuming milk is actually very much guilty of getting the animal slaughtered as well. The milk industry and the meat industry are uh, hand in glove. Yeah, they are in tandem. And one really cannot be without the other. That is the case in India, and that is also the case worldwide. So once that correlation becomes clear to people, once people are in uh, knowledge of facts, then it would be far easier for them to take uh, decisions.
0: So, uh, what would you suggest can help uh, you know, pe- to wean away people from
1: dairy and Sheer facts. You see, there could be someone who is driven by spiritual compassion, but I do not expect the number of such people to be very large. 90 to 95% people who would uh, uh, quit, uh, flesh and uh, other animal products, like milk and leather, would be driven by their simple personal sense of uh, pity. Hmm? When they are provided with the facts, those facts emerge in the public domain. Oh, they are already there in the public domain but they are not getting publicized because all kinds of publicity requires resources. And um, let alone the vegan movement being uh, flush with uh, abundant resources, the fact is, it is pitted against uh, Very very powerful industries, very, very powerful industries. So, so, but still, I mean, there is social media, and social media is the least resource-intensive among all uh, kinds of uh, media, so maybe they, that can be used. And...
0: But there's another sort of violence that we've come across in our country recently. Of that, that you know, if if somebody is suspected of having beef at home, is being lynched. Mm-hmm. So that's another extreme. So how do you suggest we find? That?
1: And this fellow is being lynched hmm, by obsessive milk users.
0: Mm, Well, yes. So
1: so, so, so that's the cruel irony of all this, right? The one who is drinking maybe a kilogram or two of milk daily is assigning himself the moral authority actually physically assault someone who is just taking away the animal for slaughter and sometimes not even taking away the animal for slaughter, just on suspicion these things are happening. So, this is not merely illegal, but also immoral and not at all spiritual. Just leave the animal alone, let the animal be. If so many cows are not being reared for milk, then the prices of beef would greatly escalate. And ultimately, there is uh, so much that boils down to economics, you know. If beef becomes expensive, then its consumption goes down proportionately, yes. And what is it that is keeping beef affordable? It is milk consumption.
0: Because it's
1: in circulation. Because it's in circulation. You see, you have an asset. Mm. If the only thing that you can have from it is its flesh, Mm. then you will be required to firstly raise it to its maximum weight Mm. and then you get only one thing from it. What? Mm. Its flesh. Mm. Flesh in certain kilograms. Whereas if that animal becomes uh, perpetually productive for you over a range of five to seven years, And then, as the final end product, it gives you its flesh as well. Then it's a far more lucrative proposition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So take away milk from the equation. Mm -hmm. And even beef consumption would drastically fall. Mm -hmm. For purely economic reasons. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: The economics would not remain sustainable anymore.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. So it's the milk consumer Mm -hmm. that has to realize... So a that he is the driving factor behind cow slaughter. On the contrary, the milk consumer loves to take a morally high position and, and, and wants to command terms to others. Hmm? The best way to love the cow is to stop drinking her milk. Hmm? And to stop. We are very selfless.
0: Kind of love. Yes. He's not expecting anything from the and definitely
1: yes, not looking yes. at it as a. Um, as a resource as to be exploited. A, yes, yes. 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 And is that not the. is that not the only kind of love that needs to be exercised not only in context of an animal but also in context of another human being? If you love somebody, be it a cow or a human being, Why chain her and why keep milking her? Why not set her free?
0: Or take care
1: of it without her. Or take care of it, yes. And take care of it not only because it is the holy mother cow, but because it is a sentient being like any other animal. Hmm? If one is really compassionate, then the cow and the goat and the chicken would all be the same hmm? see
0: um, these are very interesting uh, things that you point to and um, so at the in the center of all this is the understanding of brahman an understanding that i am brahman and so is the other. Am I correct in understanding
1: this? Not quite, but uh, it's not that I am Brahman and so is the other. In Brahman there is no otherness. Mm. The common thread that uh, runs through all living beings
0: Mm.
1: is there... Consciousness, Hmm? you know, the, the, the simple thing that you see in the other's eyes. You look at an animal, and if you can really be with that animal for a while, and if you have some sensitivity, it will be impossible for you to miss that that animal is so much like you. Those who have pets, or those who have ever loved an animal would know what I am saying Nearness with any life form would very quickly bring you to the realization that that life form has something very fundamental in common with you then assaulting that life form becomes almost like assaulting yourself you see to kill other or to exploit the other or to harm the other you must first have a feeling of otherness and otherness if based on difference and separation. You want to say that, that that fellow is different from me. So, I can conveniently assault that fellow because assaulting that fellow would make no difference to me. Yeah. He is he's, he's Y, I am X and anything that happens to Y does not impact X. So, X can safely and happily keep assaulting Y, right? That's the feeling, that the other is other. But if you stay with an animal, you you start seeing that there is something in his eyes, her eyes that is there in you also. There are certain things that the animal understands as much as you do. Same with with even a tree. And if Your sensitivity starts uh, growing really, developing, then you start seeing the same thing even with respect to a river. The animal wants much the same thing as a human being does, relaxation. love, closeness, security and an animal is bothered by much the same things as bother a human being, fear, hunger, lust and when you see a violent animal If you're really seeing, you would see the violence contained in human beings as well. You know, two two male animals having a bloody battle over meeting with a female. Is that something that happens only in the animal kingdom? I mean, aren't human beings doing that? So when, when you look at, a, look at an animal, you see there is just so much in common with, with human beings. And then you say, killing him is almost like killing a part of myself. If I kill him, then I am allowing somebody like myself to be killed, And if that becomes the principle, then why should I not be killed? If my inner principle is allowing somebody like myself to be killed, then that same principle should allow me to be killed or tortured as well. And that is when you do not want to treat the other.
0: Yeah, but then there is also one school of thought which says that... um, Human beings are superior because they have higher uh, consciousness in them. They are more conscious of their being and then uh, they get human birth because you you have done certain amount of good karma and then you get the privilege to work towards your way to God. So I suppose that's sort of... That's
1: very right. But then what is meant by the superiority of the human form? Superiority of human form employs not exploitation of animals, but going beyond one's own animal tendencies. It is an animal tendency to kill the other for food. Now, it becomes quite ironical if I say that I am superior to an animal, but I do the same things, the very same things that an animal does. What does an animal do? If an animal is hungry, it will kill. And it can kill recklessly. It can sometimes kill others of its own species. Snakes eat snakes. And animals do not care for morality or ethics or for a higher purpose in life. That's what animals do. What if human beings are found doing the same things then are we superior to animals or are we worse than animals worse because animals never have the opportunity to rise above their animal nature man in his own assessment says that he is above animals so he had the potential to live in a way that is superior to the animal way of life. But that's not what we find with most people. Most people are living just as animals, maybe as intellectual animals, maybe as animals who have an added weapon called the intellect, but their primary tendencies remain very much animalistic. So the same argument that man is superior to animals must be used to see that being superior to animals places upon us the extra responsibility to not be as animals are. Instead, man is found to be often worse than animals. Animals kill, but then only for food maybe, or for reasons of jealousy or something. But man can kill recklessly and man can kill millions or for fun. Think of it, the the, the horror of it, killing for fun, no animal kills for fun. Hmm? So on one hand, we say we are better than animals. On the other hand, our behavior is worse than that of animals, doesn't make sense.
0: See, yeah, this is a very interesting take on veganism that I've heard so far. It's, it's very nice. Acharya Ji, will you also uh, tell us something about yourself? I mean, you are IIT, uh, from IIT, and then uh, IIM, and then you decided to give up all of that, a, co- a corporate way of life, and then how come you? How, how did you make this decision, and why did you make this decision? What led to it?
1: See, when... All this was happening and it has been happening since a long while it was not one particular day or one particular abrupt decision it was not something big that was happening not something monumental that was being decided or was at stake we all choose career options don't we and applying our judgment, our intellect, our discretion, we all choose work that we find to be the best for ourselves. I did exactly the same thing that everybody else does. I also applied my discretion. I asked myself, what is it that is worth doing? And I found in today's times and age, this is what is uh, the most important thing to do. We have a large number of uh, engineers, we have very, very capable managers. We do not lack in those things. What the world today needs is something else. It's another dimension, that is calling to be addressed. So I entered that space. It's a very uh, simple story. There is nothing very uh, exciting or uh, enlightening about it. We all need inquiry into the self and we all need knowledge of the self. And there is very little of it um, available or readily visible in the world today or in the institutions that are uh, supposed to provide education. So I said, yes. uh, We require to talk about who we are, what the mind is, what the mind's uh, central tendency is and what the mind's central desire is, and uh, so that uh, people come to know about the one most important thing before they uh, talk of and decide on other things. This was a very, very important area. Uh, with not uh, enough people to take it forward. So, you were
0: inclined towards spirituality from the childhood?
1: Yes, that was the case. But then, it is not that I was inclined only towards spirituality. I had interest in mathematics, I had interest in humanities, history, social sciences, science, um, I was interested in kind of pretty much everything. But then spirituality is the bedrock of all human knowledge, all human existence. So this is the core discipline. This is the mother discipline, which unfortunately is not getting the attention it deserves. And because it is not getting the attention it deserves, the world is in a very bad no, shape.
0: I would say so. In India we have so many gurus, so many ashrams. What is, is lacking still in, in this sphere, particularly in a country like ours?
1: You see, if you want to assess mm. the quality of a nation's health, physical health, uh, it does not suffice to merely talk of the number of available hospitals and the number of beds and such things. You would go to the common man hmm, and look at his situation. Similarly, if I have to look at the, loosely speaking, spiritual quotient of a country, of a mass of people, I would go to the ordinary folk and look at their lives, and when I look at the common man and his life, there is very little depth that is evident. And I am not blaming him, Please, I am not at all making an allegation. In fact, that is this is what uh, makes me sympathetic towards that person, especially young people, because they have not been given those opportunities. They have not been uh, provided those inputs in their, uh, in their education system. And today, especially if we talk of the, the English-speaking, the Anglophone uh, population, the young people that are... Uh, Uh, coming through from the um, liberal education system there is really unfortunately very little understanding of the self that they have and the results of it are, are catastrophic and very evident these are not false warnings things are happening the extent of mental disease today is, is almost epidemic.
0: So what kind of education uh, would you suggest uh, for them, like education in the scriptures, in, in the rituals, in, in what aspect?
1: Certainly not in rituals, it has to be a very rigorous system of knowledge. So. All aspects of our inner life have to be addressed. First of all, when somebody says, I think this way, or I feel this way, or this is what I want, it requires to be patiently told to that person, to that young person, the student, that she must turn inwards and ask where is the thought or the feeling or the desire coming from. Because once this personal desire starts having a sanctity in one's life, then there is no end to the kind of deprivation one can sink into and that's what is happening all around us no? we say we are free people so we are free to do as we please we are driven by our desires we are driven by our opinions and we never pause to question where the opinion is really coming from we have taken our conditioning as our liberation and it happens very, very instinctively when all this uh, uh, this this kind of inner indoctrination is happening, then nobody is really conscious of it. And therefore the the, the student has to be prepared for almost a period of um, five to ten years to be internally. Alight and uh, be capable of addressing uh, her, her, her inner mechanisms.
0: So, this can be done through meditation by teaching, uh, making students understand.
1: First of all, this has to be done via textbooks. Yeah, Attentively reading those textbooks themselves would be quite meditative. Otherwise, uh, if meditation is just a a physical exercise, such meditation is largely ineffective. The kind of meditation we find pervasive in the society today, and there are many ways and organizations that are taking this forward. See, today spirituality has come to mean these two things. One meditation and second what we call as yoga. Unfortunately, neither of these will address the core concern of the human being. Hmm? These two, as they are currently uh, popular and uh, practiced, will not help man to any great extent. Hmm? Yoga, as we know it today, is mostly just a physical exercise, good for the body, uh, but doesn't amount to much more. And meditation, as we know today, is just a temporary pain reliever, a temporary um, you know, means of relaxation. It will not address the deep questions of life. It will not uh, Give us whatever psyche so desperately wants. That can come only through self-inquiry. That self-inquiry is largely missing. We require a system of education that incorporates that. Right.
0: That's that's quite a good thought to end this song. So thank you very much for talking to us.